0: happy new year everyone welcome in to the first locked on irish podcast in the new year the new decade 2020 is here so pumped to be with you i'm greg schaefer your lead host of the official notre dame podcast on the locked on podcast network your team every day such a great network guys if you haven't checked out any other shows yet i know you're a fan of somebody else out there i'm a pacer fan i listen to locked on and pacers almost every day I'm a Cub fan. The Cubs are on there too. Bears—that's who I'm a fan of in the NFL. Whoever your team is, they've got it. So check out all the other shows on the network. Great network to be a part of. Great network to listen to. Just a daily update. So, how's everybody New Year going? Mine, mine's starting out interesting, interesting for sure. We had big New Year's plans. Uh, let me just give you a little background. We had some New Year's plans. We're gonna stay at this. Big fashion place mall here in Central Ohio. You may know who I'm talking about without giving free advertisement. If you know, uh, you've ever been to Central Ohio, had some plans, and uh, turned to find out you needed tickets for literally every single restaurant slash bar that was going to be open. Either the places weren't open, or you needed tickets. A lot of them were free tickets, and said free tickets were sold out. I thought free was free, so... Luckily, we were able to go to some refund on our motel and able to cancel things, but made for a little awkward experience there at first. But it was pretty good, you know, to have dinner with my wife and spend time with my boy and on New Year's, so that was nice. But uh, we went from a totally going to have a great night, probably waking up, feeling a little rough after a few pops, and uh, went from that to a potentially even wild night, if I can get away with that. Uh, that term there, but I uh, went from that to barely making it up to watch the ball drop, hanging out at home, and and I think we had like a drink yesterday, so quite a turn of events, but uh, on to sports news here instead of my big flub ups. Um, <clears throat> hope you guys are enjoying the bowl games for sure. Definitely hope you guys are enjoying the bowl games. Uh, just finished up watching the Rose Bowl. Like I said, it's going to be kind of a tweener episode where it won't be an actual Thursday show. I'm going to drop this one like right now, just family time, things like that with the holidays, just kind of messed up getting a show recorded for New Year's Day. So we'll be dropping this one just as soon as I'm done here. So basically a Wednesday night show. You can listen to it on Thursday and then we'll be back Friday, of course, with the Syracuse preview. ACC play starts this weekend for the Fighting Irish. So make sure uh, be locked into that here on Locked On. Nice little play on words, right? So I cannot wait for the ACC schedule to start. So we'll have some big Irish news moving forward. Probably going to get into some Irish hockey here at some point, too. But um, back to the topic at hand, bowl games. Uh, Georgia is tied with Baylor right now as this is being recorded. I'm watching the Sugar Bowl here in the studio. Another great Rose Bowl, man. That that Rose Bowl was fantastic. Just fantastic Rose Bowl. 28-27, Justin Herbert. Leads Oregon over uh, Wisconsin. And, I mean, you know, talk about a game that really showed what turnovers can do to a team. And, you know, I mean, I think Wisconsin had four times as many yards as Oregon. Had time of possession was through the roof. I'm not even sure Oregon had the ball 20 minutes total in that game. And uh, Wisconsin walks away with a win. Or uh, Oregon walks away with the win. Four turnovers by Wisconsin. One, you you had a couple by... Ran one by Taylor, another running back had a had a fumble. The drop punt by the the punter, just crazy turn of events there, and, and a very fundamental Wisconsin team just didn't play very fundamental when it counted. And that's their fourth Rose Bowl loss here in twenty or in the two thousands. It's kind of crazy. A team that just can't quite get over the hump. And speaking of bowl games, one thing that's kind of driving me crazy is whole Texas being back thing. Um, are they back? Are they not? I know they got a big Alamo Bowl win last night over Utah. Uh, I don't didn't hear the Texas is back after that win. You, Texas looked good. Don't get me wrong. Texas looked nice yesterday. Uh, Utah just doesn't have the horses on offense. They have a nice defense. Not really many horses on offense. Um, but if just reason I bring that up is if we want to talk about a team that's back after taking a step backward, if you will, uh, I would say that would be Oregon. Oregon is now Pac-12 champs, finished the season 12 and 2, just won the Rose Bowl. I think Oregon's back. Mario Cristobal seems to have the right balance of offense and defense and, and a really just a really tough team and he takes chances at the right time. He could have easily just gave the ball back to Wisconsin under a minute to go on the final play or on the final possession. He threw the ball twice on that final possession. They were very calculated throws, very safe throws but very efficient with his offense. And he's become a very impressive coach. It's hard to believe Florida International let him go. You know He gave them their best season ever, and they let him go. Crazy to me. A small school like that, who this coach has already given you your best season ever, because he takes a step back at a place you cannot recruit, you're getting everybody's thirds, how in the world do you let that guy go? I mean, he's definitely landed on his feet, becoming one of the better coaches in the country. And I'm really interested to see, next year will tell the tale – can he replace Herbert? Recruiting look is looking nice up there. They got the Nike money behind the program. Should be extremely interesting to see just how this program does moving forward. Here, uh, I know that I got a few buddies. They they kind of keep an eye on Oregon, and it's the Pac-12 is there for the taking. It is there for the taking. There's really nobody. Utah's got Kyle Whittingham. Couldn't come through yesterday. I think Jake Bentley is going to start right away. South Carolina transfer is going to go there next year. I truly, truly think that Bentley will start right off the rip for Utah. Maybe that's what they need because their quarterback just could not get it done when it counted the most. They had a nice running game, really good defense, but you could just tell the defense was gassed after a while. And Even when Utah did kind of get back in it, or some semblance of getting back in it scored toward the end, it just wasn't enough. The defense was completely gassed out there. Now the reason I bring up the bowl games is is two two things. One circles back to Notre Dame. The other and I started off with the Rose Bowl there. And in Rose the Rose Bowl is just if you're a college football fan, there's something about the Rose Bowl, man. I, and I know Notre Dame has only ever played one and it it's not really we're not really relating this to Notre Dame as far as. We have Notre Dame doesn't really have much of a connection with the Rose Bowl. I wish it did. I watch the game every year. I get enthralled in it. It gives me goosebumps. It's it's amazing. It is must-watch television. And I don't know if it's like that everywhere. I don't like Vermont and Maine, but in hotbeds of college football, i.e., Central Ohio, you know, I'm sure Tuscaloosa, I'm sure Tallahassee, I'm sure Austin, Texas, Athens, Georgia, places where college football is just religion, essentially. I'm sure it's just like that. that uh, like it is for me, it is for them, for you, even listening to this show, that it is just much must watch television. And it got me to thinking with the big game feel of the Rose Bowl and how everybody played. Nobody really sits out a Rose Bowl. I mean, see Dwayne Haskins last year could have easily sat out for Ohio State, didn't? The entire team essentially played last season for Ohio State on a team that could have easily taken a step back, had a seat, and said, nah, it's just a meaningless bowl game. I really feel like right now this could change. I think that Rose Bowl's immune from this uh, sitting out, guys that don't, don't think it matters. I mean, we're, I'm sitting here watching the Sugar Bowl right now, and Georgia has like five, six guys out on defense sitting out for undisclosed reasons, and we know some of them are because of draft stock and worried about getting hurt and things like that. But I really do think in an era of where if you're not in the playoff mix, the game doesn't seem to matter as much, or you look at some of these bowl games and the attendance is so far down, I know me and Brian Driscoll from Sports Illustrated had quite a back and forth online of differing opinions about the future of bowls and whether or not they should even still be around. And I'm going to touch on that subject possibly on Friday um, when I come back for the Friday show. But uh, I just, you know, I think the Rose Bowl is actually immune from this. And I think the Rose Bowl is always going to be a big deal. I think it's always going to sell out. And regardless if it's part of the playoff or not, I think the Tournament of Roses, the granddaddy of them all, I really think that it's so impactful in sports and our culture that I really think that it's going to stick around and and always be that big deal, that big event that we've all come to know and love. Now, kind of circling this conversation back to Notre Dame, let's talk about how are the opponents, potential opponents, that have made bowls and how some of these teams in the, in these bowls have performed this year so taking a look at how some of these teams have performed in bowls um and what what really made me think about this is michigan got beat up by alabama they had some moments the game wasn't as out of hand as we all thought it would get um alabama rent got that run it up touchdown at the end i'll tell you if bama and michigan ever meet up again and harbaugh's still the coach or whoever's the coach that takes a lot of pride in Michigan, uh, programs have long memories. And if they ever have the opportunity to run it up on uh, Alabama, that's going to happen. I was really shocked as a coach like Saban, who usually doesn't take that approach. I'm really shocked he actually put in that last touchdown. But you sit there and look, and and Minnesota, who I find to be kind of just, they're not, I'd say they're an above average team. I watched a Michigan team get blown out by Ohio State in the last game of the season. I watched them not really be able to hang with Alabama. Um, you know, we, we watched, I'm watching Baylor, and, and I find Baylor to be about on the same level as Minnesota, um, you know, just kind of hanging in there with Georgia. I don't find Georgia to be all that good. Um, you look around the rest of the country at some of the bowl results and, the Virginia Florida game, Oklahoma getting waxed by LSU. And, you know, Notre Dame's sitting there at 15, but I don't think we're as bad as we all, as many of us thought we were. I know me and a buddy of mine who used to contribute to one of my other shows, we talked about all season how I don't know if Notre Dame's all that good. I, I, I don't think they're overrated. You know, they might be top 15, 10 to 15 in that range. I think we're a top 10 team. I think the Michigan game is actually our uh, Ohio State-Purdue game, our Ohio State-Iowa game, our Wisconsin-Illinois game. I think that's what that game was for us because what I've seen is Michigan is nowhere near uh, is better that much better than us. Um, they might be – I can't even say that team is better than us. I, I still won't get off that. I think we're the better team. I just think we showed up unmotivated. You're dealing with 18- to 22-year-old kids, and the more I look at the landscape – Number 25, Oklahoma State, with one of the best running backs in the country, gets beat by a team who couldn't beat a team that had a pulse all season. You know, Oklahoma, again, like I said, they, they couldn't do anything against LSU. Their performance led me to believe that we could have competed better in this year's playoff. I don't think we're part of that top three. But I my point is, is I just don't feel like that. I feel like we're definitely better after watching these bowl games and how they've all played out. I think we're better than what I thought we were. Um, that's not to say we've been able to prove it because where that argument falls a little flat is the fact that our the best two teams that were on our schedule that we had the potential to, to play that being Georgia and Michigan we got beat. Um, the way SC finished the season they're you know they're probably the third or fourth best team we've played all year, all year. Virginia couldn't beat a really a pretty good Florida, not elite but pretty good Florida. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see how the AP rankings spit out or how the final playoff rankings spit out ever how college football decides to do it here to finish off these final rankings to just see where we sit. But you know, I didn't see 39 Memphis put up 39 points on Penn state without their head coach number 10 team in the country. And this is not to say that we would have won the national title. If we got in there that we're even in this season in the same class as those top three, but I think we're a lot better than what the media and what, how we were voted on at 15. I I just, I don't see it. I I think we're better than that. And after watching these bowl games, I absolutely think that it supports us being a top 10 team when these final rankings come out. So we've had some news come out, um, last couple, well, basically over the last 24 hours, um, coming out of Chicago, mainly got people talking, uh, that's, well, Nagy got rid of Matt Nagy, head coach of the Bears got rid of four guys off his coaching staff. There're four or five guys. First off, my initial reaction as a Bears fan is that is that okay, that might be the problem, but it's not the only problem there. You are the problem, my friend. Nagy's offense is a gimmick. It's a it's an absolute gimmick. It worked the first year. His best chance at a Super Bowl was that first year, the double doink year. 100% his best chance at winning a Super Bowl. That team was stacked. The offenses are always one a little bit ahead of the defenses when something new comes along. See Colin Kaepernick, his first season. See the Wildcat offense when things like this come along. And that's why I don't have any faith in in Lamar Jackson long term. This is going to be his best chance to win a Super Bowl. Unless something changes drastically and he's just that much of a video game better than everybody else, then no, I, I don't think it's sustainable. I just don't. The defenses, these defensive coordinators are too smart. Defenses themselves are too smart. There's always a scheme against it. You look at Kaepernick after that first year taking the Niners to the Super Bowl. All the offensive the field stuff aside, I don't want to hear about that. Don't want to debate it. it. Things go, you know, started to decline. It was a steady decline from there. You look at the Wildcat offense. It, it was revolutionary. It was going to change things. Well, it's barely around anymore. It's, it's in there for just to change it up. It is what it is. However, Nagy is the same way. His offense is based around a five foot five Tariq Cohen, and a quarterback who at times can't freaking find his ass with both hands. So small rant, small bear rant there. But the reason this is brought up is because two of those assistants that were let go, one being Mark Helfrich, but the other one that's got Notre Dame Nation all fired up, is Harry Heastan, the former offensive line coach at Notre Dame. And a lot of people are talking about Coach Kelly going back after him. Uh, my reaction to that is, I guess, um, you know, I don't really see that much of a decline on the offensive line. I know Quinn's running it right now. I, I guess it has taken a step back, but it's also taken a step back in talent. And one could argue that the talent that he, Stan, had, he didn't get the best out of it anyway. I mean, Quentin Nelson was a monster, but he, 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 he was doing these things, but when it came time to really move the line of scrimmage and McGlinchy, you know, McGlinchey was responsible for giving up the strip sack from, uh, against Georgia. You know, they weren't as dominant as they are now in the NFL. I don't think he got the potential out of them that everybody thinks that he got out of them. And I just don't think the talent is there right now either. We don't have a McGlinchey or a Nelson on this roster. Now, it would it be nice to get him back? Sure, I guess. Um, now, I do know Quinn has been a step up in recruiting, where I know he, Stan, wasn't necessarily the best recruiter, but he did a little bit better developing. So I guess if he is available and Quinn is able to take another role, maybe with tight ends or something like that, that, that would be doable. However, you know, I'm just not that – it doesn't really do much for me that he is available, And from what I understand, he was kind of trying to get out of the whole recruiting game anyway, being on the road all the time, and I don't know that that would be an option for him to come back. Now, with Helfrich becoming available, you know my thoughts on Mark Helfrich. I feel like Helfrich would be a perfect hire as the offensive coordinator. I've said it a million times before on this show that Oregon's offense never ticked better than when he was their OC. Say what you want about him as a head coach, but him as an OC was very, very nice. The offense just just scooted down the field. So I I don't think Kelly's going to kick the tires on him. I I don't even think it's realistic. I know it's a pipe dream on my end uh, because I think, and the reason being is I just think Reeves is just, I think he's in. I really do. However, I do think the timing on this is interesting. The fact that he hasn't been tired yet. I think my first thought was he's in, he's got it. He's calling the camping world bowl, whatever, whatever. However, now that—oh, nice little flea flicker by Georgia there, getting down inside the 15. Uh, Now that he hasn't been hired right away, it does make me rethink the fact that maybe they are taking their time they're going to kick the tires on some other guys. I just thought for sure after we won, we had the performance we did, I thought he was just going to be named it right away if he was the guy with no questions asked, not kicking the tires on anybody else. So very interesting there. Now the other news to come up (laughs) yesterday— was um, Tony Jones officially declared for the draft. And um, I say good for him. I know a lot of people are making a big deal out. Well, he knows Chris Tyree's coming in and he's going to lose carries. I got a message for everybody out there that thinks Chris Tyree's going to come in and just be Barry Sanders 2.0. Just chill out. Just chill out because it's not going to happen. He's 175 pounds is what he's listed at. Some sources have him listed at 180. He's not carrying the torch right away. We're going to see his speed. will get him on the field. However, we need to see him be able to find a hole. We, when the holes, not there, we need to be able to get him in space. We need to make sure he can block. We need to make sure that he can take a hit because he was a little ouchy his senior year. I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think it has a lot to do with, he's probably just done with school. He's graduating. He he's a good athlete. He's gonna be able to work hard, and he can go make some money. I seen somebody post online, and I know the Twitter sphere is a dangerous hole to run down. But he, oh, he's XFL bound. Okay, well he's gonna be getting paid to play football. Great, something he's not doing playing for Notre Dame. And being a running back, you only have so many carries. And again, I'm gonna go back to the Seahawks situation. They've lost three running backs this season. You can't tell me that he can't work hard enough. Get on a practice squad somewhere or be completely ready to go, look look the part, show what he can do, and when a team gets in trouble and needs a running back, they bring him in, and then he gets his opportunity. I, I, I full-on believe that. And even if he doesn't get drafted, then he'll get on somewhere. He's going to sign with an agent. They'll bring him into a camp, and he, he's going to get his shot. He's going to get his shot, and even if it is XFL, again, he's getting paid to play football. So other news is DJ. it looks like he is coming back next season, so that's really good news for us. Fifth year out of Ogundigi. And this is really good news from a perspective of not only just another body coming back, but this is experience. It really seemed to come into his own last season. He um, had 26 total tackles, five and a half for loss, three sacks. And you remember the strip, he uh, had the fumble recovery, took it back for a uh, touchdown against Virginia. And that gives us two experienced fifth-year guys on the D, you know, booking in the D ends. You got Ogundiji, you got Dalen Hayes. And even if Hayes is a little ouchy, you got Isaiah Fosky, who's just a freaking monster. This is huge. This is huge for us on the defensive line. And just a really long six foot four, two hundred and fifty-three pound guy that I really think can can really make a difference in the trenches and, and be the physical presence that we need. And I cannot wait for the show that we go over the schedule for next year and just how we're gonna be favored in literally every game but one next season. And that one being Clemson. And I'll be honest with you, there's a piece of me. I kind of – with Joe Burrow being from Athens, Ohio, I'm here from Ohio. And, and you know, I, I add into the fact that, you know, I'm cheering for a guy from from my state. I cover local high school football, but – and Athens isn't local, but we've always heard about Joe Burrow here. So my heart's kind of with Joe. And um, Orgeron's just crazy. The dude's, dude's hilarious. I'm definitely cheering for him. There's a piece of me that wants Clemson to win every game until they have to come to South Bend next October or next November, actually. I would love that team to just stay on a streak and have to come to South Bend because then we're a winner either way. They beat us, well, we're just a part of the streak. If we lose, or if if we can beat them, oh, my, look out, touchdown, Jesus. All right, guys, back at it. Third segment of Locked On Irish Podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network so I wanted to get to today. I know I kind of teased a little bit yesterday, and since I kind of gave you all the updates with the breaking news and the news about the team, and uh, I just wanted to get into just our all-decade team. We're into a new decade here. Finished up our previous decade. Um, so we're gonna talk all-decade team, and uh, we're gonna start with the offense today. And Friday we're gonna do. Friday we'll do the defense. So I'm pretty pumped about that. This and. I looked around to see what other people's opinion was, and I never let others sway mine. But it's interesting that we're all pretty much on the same page. So, you know, that's a good thing. I'm looking at some of the experts, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I don't think I'm going to blow too many people away. So I'm going to start on the offensive line. And I guess where I probably would disagree with some people is um, I have Braxton Cave as my center on my uh, all-decade team just a real physical guy got dinged up toward the end of his career. Uh, it's unfortunate. I thought he would be a better pro and I thought he would actually have a pro career. Not saying, you know, he didn't do much at all. I know he spent a little time on some practice squads. Yeah. I believe he bounced around between three different teams on, uh, practice squads. Yeah. It looks like the Browns Patriots and lions. Um, and I just really thought that as physical as he was, six foot three, three hundred and three pounds, I really thought that he would, you know, really be able to push some guys around in the NFL. But I think injuries just kind of slowed him down, and it's something he never could recover from. Now I know Nick Martin is the real popular opinion at center, but as far as the, I know Nick had a great senior se- season. I just find Braxton Kay's work overall at Notre Dame to be just a little bit more impressive, and really anchoring that offensive line during the 2012 run. Now the usual suspects. I got a guard and tackle. I got Nelson McGlunchy. Uh, I put Zach Martin at a guard, even though I played. I know he played tackle at Notre Dame. So if you're upset with that, I would put Elmer or Watt at the at the uh, right guard, and then I guess um, and then move Stanley to the other tackle. Uh, McGlunchy would be out if you're if you're talking if you're talking Martin can't be a guard. Then I would probably put Martin and Stanley at the tackles. Elmer or Watt at that right guard, and then I guess we'd drop McGlinchey off there. But because this is mine, this is the Locked On Irish Podcast um, <laughs> all-decade team, I'll go Cave, Nelson, McGlinchey on the left side, and then uh, Martin Stanley with Elmer or Watt being able to fill in at that guard right guard position behind Martin. Um, man, I'll tell you, Steve Elmer, interesting story, one of the few guys. He had a chance to come back. He was a really nice player could have potentially had a uh, an NFL career and chose the career path using that quote-unquote 40-year decision. So, uh, And you can't blame him. Maybe there's more money out there for him. I think I'm going find, to find the article here. Yeah, it looks like Elmer, he wasn't, in this article he wasn't talking about his specific plans, but it looks like he spent the last year of school as a congressional intern in D.C., uh, I forget. I know I read he was going to be somewhere of note. I know it's hit us up on the um, on the Facebook or the Twitter at Locked On Irish if you remember exactly where he decided to go work. But I'm sure whatever his decision, there's a lot less injuries and possibly a little bit more money. Uh, so to round out our all-decade team, so that that's the line skill positions I had. Run it well. Tight. We'll start with tight end. Tyler Ariford, hands down, hands down, the best tight end that we had over the last decade. And behind him, I would go honestly probably Cole Komet. just a physical freak. I know we've had some. I read some Durham Smythe talk. Troy Nicholas. I, I I'd probably go Komet. even though his career technically right now isn't over at Notre Dame. I would probably still go Komet, just be based on his blocking, his athleticism, physicality, things like that. And, you know, Smythe did have have some nice uh, time at Notre Dame, being a blocker, catching some balls, things like that. But I, for me, I would go you know, – it's obviously Eifert at one. But, I mean, we just had some really nice tight ends over the years, but no, none that's really compared to Eifert. Uh, wide receiving core, yeah, Floyd, Fuller, and Claypool. And my honorable mention goes to TJ Jones. I love TJ. That dude, you just got so much out of TJ, Um, probably more than any other school could have. I know Kelly gets dinged a lot of times for the guys he can't develop, but TJ was one of those guys that he 100% developed, and Will Fuller. We haven't seen speed of Will Fuller's nature since, what, the Rocket? And now we have Brayton Lindsey. He's kind of duplicating that. But, you know, Will Fuller was lightly recruited, and give Kelly credit. I mean, it was Villanova, I think Penn State. Let me look it up here. Yeah, for Will Fuller, I mean, you're looking at Boston College, um, UMass, Delaware. Now TJ was a little more recruited than I thought. That's that's on me. I I okay, I do remember him being a four-star guy, but still, I mean, he came in and he just made such an impact. Became the go-to guy in 2013, and you know, really impressive career. And spent a little time with the Lions in the NFL, and you know, definitely a successful career for uh, for TJ. So to not have him at least mentioned in our all-decade team would be definitely uh, definitely wouldn't do him justice. Now, here's where we're going to get into a little controversy because pretty much everybody had at the running back position Josh Adams. I disagree. I think Theo Riddick all-purposed, all-everything back, especially his senior year, some of the things he could do. He was so messed around with his position between wide receiver and running back when he finally put him at running back he absolutely shined as a running back. Now for me it's Dexter Williams as the other back. I here's where here's where I'm going to get in some some arguments with people is Josh Adams' numbers are absolutely undeniable. And some of the things that he did when it came down to uh, the 2016 season and just how bad that season was, I get it. You know, he he carried the ball well against – kept us in the Virginia Tech game. He got us a game-winning score against, um, uh, against Miami, good things, during a terrible season. Ran for 933 yards. Ran for 838 his freshman year, 1430 his senior year, 33 trucking was a thing, 3,000 yards overall, 20 touchdowns. Great. However, when I see what he ran behind, when I look at the holes – that he had, and the big games that he didn't show up in, that's where Josh Adams loses me. Josh Adams couldn't create his own holes. He just couldn't. He wasn't a shifty back. He needed the hole to be there to make a difference, and he slowed so bad down the stretch that he just wore down. He completely wore down. When I look at that 202 yards against North Carolina State, I'm running for at least 100 yards in that game based on those holes right there. Um, Southern Cal was a little better, but there are games that he just completely disappeared. Georgia, 19 carries for 53 yards. Uh, Michigan State, 9 carries for 56. 5 carries for 22 against Wake Forest. 16 carries for 40 against Miami. 20 for 49 against Stanford. 15 for 44 against uh, Louisiana State. Uh, Who's the last person to call it Louisiana State? LSU, sorry about that. So I have Dexter Williams rated above Josh Adams just because of the shiftiness, the versatility that was Dexter Williams. I just thought he was the better overall player despite the f- stats not matching up. Stats, you can make stats say whatever you want to. It doesn't mean a guy's a better player. And I just find Dexter Williams to be a more shifty back, a better home run hitter, be able to do more things as, as a running back. Um, and this is where another one where I might catch heat as I cap off the all-decade team for uh, Notre Dame here, and that's at quarterback. I have Ian Book as the best quarterback of the decade. Um, it's uh, Tommy Rees, despite giving us everything that he had and having some great stats, despite not necessarily the physical capabilities. He, you know, he just wasn't obviously the guy. Col- Golson had a nice season. One season, Zaire had some nice games. Um, Deshaun Kaiser had a nice season uh, Wimbush had a nice season, uh, not even a full, complete, nice season books done it for basically what? Two years now at uh, two years total. Uh, just what he's done has been so impressive. Um, despite some of his shortcomings the longevity of what he's done pro- probably, or he is coming back for next season, going to lead this team. So it's just going to be extremely interesting to see where he takes this team because he does have some tools. I think he is what he is at this point, unfortunately, but I do think that he's made such an impact on this program. He's developed into more than I even ever thought he would be. I never thought that Ian Book would be this, this good of a player. In fact, I thought he was going to be the one left behind. I thought it would be Wimbush, Jerkovic, and then moving on down the line to these guys in the future. Um, You know, 63% completion percentage over his career. He's thrown for over 6,000 yards. 57 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. I mean, the guy's, the guy's done a lot. And this year showing some poise on fourth down and the escapability and the mobility that he's shown, I really think puts him as the starting quarterback on the all-decade team for Notre Dame. And I would definitely, I would put Deshaun Kaiser second, and I don't really think it's close. So that's the show today, guys. Make sure you're following us out there, Lockdown Irish, on Twitter, Facebook. Listen to us, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes wherever you get your podcast, We will be back Friday. So this is the tweener episode recording on Wednesday night. Listen to it all day on Thursday. We'll be back on Friday with the all-decade team defensively. And we will also be talking Notre Dame and Syracuse basketball as the Irish open up ACC play this weekend. So until Friday, go Irish.